Welcome, reanimated fans. Uh, this is H.A. Conrad coming to you from Brooklyn. Um, on the West Coast, we have Stuart Tiffin, my intrepid co-host, as well as a special guest star. Uh, Kyle Diaz is joining us today. Uh, friends of the show may remember him from way back, uh, but really happy to have him on the pod today. I think the um, last time Kyle was on the show was when we were talking about The Strain season one. So if that gives oh, you, yeah. that dates it a little bit. Yeah, neither of you had children then, right? No, no I, I think I did. <laughs> easy. Um, but you may it, also remember me. I was going to say that you may also remember me from uh, an episode from a, a movie called Pontypool, but I can't even remember the movie Pontypool, so I can't imagine that anyone listening would remember me oh, talking about Pontypool. I remember Pontypool. So <laughs> uh, but in any case, we're, we're not really getting into news today because there's also a bit of a dearth of it, but we have... A little bit extra happening today. We're going to talk about the what if uh, Marvel uh, zombie episode. And then we're also going to be talking about Ashen of the North. Um, so a lot to fit in, but really excited to, to chat with you all. And thank you for your patience because of my bananas work schedule. Appreciate it. Uh, so so let, let's hop in. So Stuart, do you want to take it away? So, oh, yeah, with uh, with pleasure. So Disney's what Disney... Well, Disney's Marvel's What If has been one of the only things I feel like that's coming out on Disney Plus right now. It's kind of what, what's making it worthwhile paying uh, paying for that extra service. And uh, I think this is the fifth episode that they've released. Um, and each one is its own uh, little bottle episode of like a splinter of the multiverse and literally what if this happened instead. And so they've done things like uh, Doctor Strange made different decisions about the Time Stone. Um, T'Challa was actually Star Lord, etc. And then in this one, the the <laughs> the conceit I think is is like a little bit comically uh, brief. Um, they just said, "What if zombies?" And I guess there's a bit of a joke there that it didn't take much to convince the writers' room that they they, they could go for a, a zombie episode. Um, and so that's kind of where we end up. Uh, the it's it's a Hank Pym derived zombie virus, or at least he tries to go find his his uh, wife, and and she's infected with something, and then they bring it back. Um, and the story is told from the perspective of Bruce Banner, or uh, for a part for part of the episode anyway. Um, but I should also point, you know, we talked a little bit about this before that there were you know graphic novels about the zombie theme, and you know we have the multiverse and things going on, and. A lot of people were making, uh, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, negative assessments that they weren't going to go as dark as they did in the in the graphic novel storyline. And I would say that some of the, you know, some of these storylines are pretty dark, especially for the MCU and what we've been seeing, at least, you know, in, in general, um, oh, there's yeah. been a lot of reality. But th this, these are pretty dark, if you ask me. Um but this, I this also is the, when when the the Captain America in the train scene happened. Oh, yeah. That was in the trailer for What If. I was watching that with my seven year old, and he was like, "What? This is the Disney Channel. What's happening?" Right, He's terrified. Right. Um, and so I don't like. I definitely think it's pretty dark. I will also point like I think that the animation is amazing looking. Uh, I really am enjoying that part of it tremendously. It looks it looks incredible to me. Uh, Kyle, what are you, did you get to watch it, and what are you thinking? I've only seen a couple of the other episodes of of the What If series so far, and and I I kind of love that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is just following the comic books and just totally disappearing up its own, you know what? Like it's it's just marvelous, marvelous to me that 
we now have a series that's like, hey, all those movies that we wrote, what if we wrote them like slightly differently or something? Like it's just mm-hmm. the the meta-ness of it is just really charming in it in its own weird way that they think that people are so desperate for Marvel content that will will watch essentially like remixes. Um and yet we totally will so you know (laughs) i guess they're right definitely will yeah (laughs) and um i i will say like one of the things i was impressed by in addition to the animation was the writing i thought was like super solid um the characterization um in terms of like the the humor that they bring in despite the bleak content and the storyline you know i thought was very well done and in line with the things that we've seen and you know it's animation but it's still it's still carrying on those characters um and it didn't feel foreign in that way um it didn't feel like it was its own thing it actually to me did feel like a continuation of the things that they'd put together and one of the strongest parts about this uh, series so far has been the uh, the voice acting they're they're managing to bring back so many so many of the original cast right i mean like there's one or two exceptions like um uh, Hawkeye. I think Spider-Man. Spider-Man is also, yeah, he's not voiced by the original, but and neither is Captain America. Uh, right. And in, in, in previous episodes, Hawkeye was voiced by someone who doesn't sound anything like uh, Jeremy Renner. Renner. <laughs> but uh, there, that's a that's a pretty cool through line. And in fact, you know, it's it's a freaking um, God, Ch- uh, Chadwick Boseman voicing uh, yeah. T'Challa. And that's just like kind of pl- pulls at your heart heartstrings a oh, lot, gosh. right? I know. I heard his voice and I was like, oh, <laughs> it was really sad. Um. I guess I'll disagree with you just a little in that I thought I thought this one in particular um, was a little tonally all over the place and kind of I guess I'm just too used to to the stakes being lower because I found it a little bit unpleasantly grim and Mm. the humor kind of shoehorned in there. So it felt like like a very, very bleak episode with some like random jokes kind of tossed in. And um, it just kind of ping pong back and forth a little bit. The only time that I laughed really hard was when a uh, giant wasp like was holding onto the jet and then they get away and she just picks up some <laughs> zombie and chucks it that was like, so far and it bounces off the back of the plane. That was, um, that was actually my, my favorite moment of the, of the episode, but I thought it was just kind of like a little bit too uh, unrelentingly like, Hey, all of your favorite, you know, people are, are quickly becoming undead. Yeah. I feel like they tried to address that with Spider-Man or yeah, with Spider-Man's yeah. dialogue. Mm-hmm. But then also when Sharon Carter gets blown up by the wasp um, and then she's just like, oh, I've got Sharon Carter all over me. And it's just like, dude, she was your friend like 30 seconds ago. What do you? It's between. It's, be- I feel it's like like literally you, between. I feel like but- if you haven't watched enough zombie films. To, like, uh. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's exactly what they're doing here. They made it a zombie film. Yeah, but they're making a joke any- about it's the it's the comedic. Out there. They were trying to shoehorn, as Kyle said, uh, a laugh know. into like, yeah, now my dead friend is on me, you know. It's literally between oh my dead friend is on me and oh I'm infected and gonna die too. Mm-hmm. It's like two two extremely emotional moments with like a little gore joke in between. Uh, maybe maybe I'm just in a weird place right now, but it's <laughs> <laughs> totally possible. Um, but I 100 agree also that the, the the zombie thrown at the at the quad jet was the the best part of the entire episode. That was, episode. That was, that was really great. I may also have a little bit of history playing in here because I, when I was a kid, I didn't read a lot of comic books, but I did like Spider-Man and most of the Spider-Man 
comic books that I read were like, you know, relatively light, you know, kind of just right. story of the week things. And then one day I was at the bookstore and my grandparents let me choose a comic book and I took home. The details of it are really fuzzy, but Spider-Man dies and goes to purgatory oh and meets like Uncle Ben and uh, like, you know, people that he's known throughout his life and then has to make some sort of decision about whether to stay in hell or come back to the realm of the living and I think it's all in in the end revealed to be Mysterio or something who's like playing a trick on him and putting him through a test. But it was so uh, uh, like scarring of a of a literature to read <laughs> and so different from every other Spider-Man comic book that I'd ever read that it pretty much like put me off the whole medium for like five years. And so this kind of had a similar feel to it to me. So maybe it just was like bringing back some of those unpleasant memories. Well, I mean, I also think that generally with the MCU universe, we're used to at least some some bit of hope. And typically they like wrap that up at the end and they definitely did not do that here. Um, and as I understand it from what Stuart just said, the the um, Doctor Strange uh, episode was also pretty bleak. Uh, so. You know, I think that this is and if you a lot of the what ifs are like that. And if you read the multiverse uh, like comics, they kind of do that. And I admit I was a little surprised to see that Disney was even going down this path because it's kind of hard not to be bleak with some of the storylines. I mean, look at their other uh, forays into zombies, right? That ridiculous musical show that I don't think any of us have ever seen, but it's it is not this. It is a they're not willing to uh, to go to these depths. Marvel is and kudos. You think that this was one of the possible futures that Doctor Strange looked at in his little like, <laughs> you know, shifty moment on the on that planet? Like, did he just look at this one and be like, "Whoa, fuck this, I'm out of here"? <laughs> like, <laughs> Probably. And also, you know, there's the whole Watcher piece, which I'm assuming they're trying to tie in from the the Loki, mm. uh, like that. Maybe there's something there that we'll see at the end with all of these because he seems to be the narrator and, you know, he he mentions very similarly to Doctor Strange all the different things that he was watching. Um, sorry for spoilers, anybody. Um, but, you know, he he has a similar he has a similar line, actually, to Doctor Strange. Um, so I was wondering if they are going to try to do something with that. And that it ends up that this isn't this is more like his series versus, you know, Loki or whatever. But um, I don't know. It, it It is a very bleak thing to be watching right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has but, some it has some bleakness to it. Uh, I, I would also want to point out the um, the cast or the cast of extras or whatever that they kind of assembled the survivors of the zombie apocalypse. It's a lot of like C and D list Marvel people yeah. like happy. Uh, the the chauffeur and there's even a joke and that's voiced by John Favreau. I mean, how, it doesn't mm-hmm. get much better than that. Uh, you got your Winter Soldier, Sharon Carter, uh, who is they are definitely lining up to be a, a central piece of the at least the, the TV version of Marvel. Right? She was uh, she featured quite heavily in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, General Okoye, who is um, you know Denai Guerrera. It's just it was an interesting selection. They, they the people that they decided to have be survivors, sort of. Uh, yeah, it actually reminded me a little bit, uh, like like um, when it was it was surprising to me as well. And it was like, did they decide on this because of the people that they could get 
you know, for the voice acting? Um, or was this sort of the idea all along was that it was going to be sort of like different, like very specific and different cast members that you wouldn't expect to give them a little bit of time on the screen or in the storyline um, and that it isn't the people that you would expect to survive because that's also true. I mean, are they equi the equivalent of like Ash or Shaun of the Dead? You know, the like the whole the whole joke that it's always sort of like some, you know, electronic store manager that saves the day. Um, I mean, Cap Cap's uh, bite scene, like when he gets off the Quinjet or whatever, and then it's a tiny Hank Pym giving him yeah. a tiny zombie bite. Like, that's kind of genius. I don't, I don't know yeah. if that's a, a direct uh, link to the comics, but can you imagine there's not nothing much more terrifying than that? Uh, so I don't know. I, I thought that that was I, I wasn't bothered by it, but I did. I agree. I thought it was kind of interesting to see who they chose mm -hmm. to kind of carry this on. Um, so. Scott Lang's uh, head in a jar gave me strong Mars Attacks vibes, which was also a movie <laughs> that I found really traumatizing as a kid. So maybe we're also just a, little, a little Futurama, right, too. Oh, yeah. A little, little Futurama. And uh, I, I will say we haven't touched on him yet, but um Vision and Wanda continued to be like the tragic pair of oh, Marvel yeah. MCU. That was that was the most moving uh, subplot of the episode. To I me. was I was kind of like you know they never get to be happy. <laughs> no, no matter what universe, it doesn't seem like they get to be happy. <laughs> That's uh, rough. It's like the younger sister in Downton Abbey. She's never allowed to be happy. So they just they're like the tragic, the tragic romantic couple of this universe. Strong Downton Abbey poll for our zombie podcast, but hey, you um, got to do it. I got to call it as I see it. Um, so I'm sure we're we're missing some valuable other uh, insights here. But anybody have anything else that was like a real standout from this episode? Um, I, I did like seeing Thanos's crew get owned at the beginning of the episode. I forget those people's names. They're, they all of them have like dark undertows kind of names, yeah. and I don't remember what they are. Uh, and then, Crescent Maw. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's a scene of Thanos at the very end. Apparently he showed up at anyway after his two top dudes were, were taken care of and he still has the Infinity Gauntlet. And I will say one of the issues that I had with this entire episode was that people still could use technology and magic, um, like innate skills like Wolverine, I would understand. But mm -hmm. when, it's, when it's like Doctor Strange and Wong doing magical spells as zombies, I mean, maybe I'm just being like a, a zombie purist and I should, I should sit down, but I, I do take a bit of umbrage with that. Well, and I also was uh, like bothered by the fact that Thanos even cares. Cause isn't this kind of the end of the, I don't know why would he even care at this point? He's a zombie. Right. So that would felt a little strange that they would be carrying on plans or whatever, mm. you know, especially a plan of that magnitude seemed a little strange. Um, maybe he could sort of, I don't know, tangentially do use some of his powers, but I don't know that planning would be one of them. Right. Um, even uh, unless they're trying to imply that that was just sort of this, you know, instinct or urge that he had. But uh, I also felt like that was a little weird that they could use something as complicated as the spells and the magic and the things like that that they had gained. Um, and I mean, like the flying piece, that was fine or anything that was like maybe could go off sort of. But I, even when they had happy, you know, happy turns and he's using the gauntlet, mm -hmm. um, the, the Iron Man gauntlet, like didn't seem like that takes a lot of coordination, right? Uh, and Hawkeye is Hawkeye's like fully himself. It seems like right. he's, 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 he's using different around. kinds of arrowheads. 
Yeah. Um, no, oh. Fal- you're thinking of Falcon, but yeah, Falcon's also using the complex tools. Falcon. Um, but Hawkeye's like still dead on with his mm-hmm. arrows. That doesn't seem likely, right? <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I thought that was weird. I also was very bothered by the fact that Sharon didn't shrink herself before she became a menace as a giant zombie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it feels like she could have done that in the last instant or something. But yeah. Then we wouldn't have her throwing that zombie. So I guess that's the point. But we needed we needed her to throw that zombie. You need the th- I do wonder. I do wonder what kind of conversations happened. You, you know, you know that they must have been like Stuart, you're mentioning your son saw just the, the preview for this. They must have been like really just turning that dial on the gore level. Like what what is acceptable on Disney Plus as a Marvel property and what isn't? Because like there was some stuff that was like a little bit horrifying, like um Oh, I'm sorry. What's his name? The uh, Wong getting his head chopped off with the um, with the portal. Mm-hmm. But then the zombies were also like extremely cartoonish looking zombies. So it was very mm-hmm. clear, like, hey, this is not Captain America. He's like, all, he's hunched. He's got like limbs hanging off. Mm-hmm. His face is all distorted. Like, um, I, I just really wonder, like, that must have been a constant conversation of just like, where can we take this to? And then what is actually beyond the realm of acceptable for for the franchise we're in i imagine there was a part of that conversation that was also nobody touches spider-man <laughs> he's yeah. gonna be fine <laughs> yeah i but but kyle i agree with you like i felt like some of those decisions were deliberate to make them look so cartoonish so that it, there wasn't any question that this was almost like a different world entirely so that it could be dissociated oh that's just this you know random little spin-off thing, right? So that you yeah. can have that conversation with kids. I mean, I, I don't I do you remember like when the whole snap thing happened, the trauma that that caused to children oh. who went to see it in the movie theaters um and maybe they yes, were Yes, I remember all the trauma to children and the, adults the too. And adults yeah. too, but but they did I don't know Mr. Like Stark they did a compilation of like interviews with kids after they saw that and and parents were like really upset because it's like you know everybody was traumatized by the snap but this was just i felt like they deliberately went sort of further into i don't want to say character but like more more cartoonish so that all right that's definitely not captain america you know like so that it could be somehow explained you know sort of like this is a different a very different world like a dream world basically so um so good point and it, eventually this will be one of i don't know how many episodes of this they're going to do but it will it will be its own thing its own it, like we said it's in a bottle um and it'll it won't it, no more than any of the other episodes like honestly doctor strange one was extremely bleak much more bleak than this frankly um, uh, but it's also just, uh, you know, that's the multiverse. You can destroy, uh, you can, you have the capacity for much more widespread destruction and, and sadness. And I think that they are doing a good job of plumbing those depths in this series, but I, it would be nice to have some like rainbows and butterflies too, maybe just to balance it out. I don't know. Maybe it's also that, you know, with, with Tony Stark's death, and in in the MCU universe and and Iron Man's death, maybe they were like, well, it could have been much worse. <laughs> ah, <laughs> this this is will what show you. Happened. <laughs> <laughs> like I know you all were traumatized by that, but look what could have happened. Wait and see what know. else we can do. 
Um, so I, I think that we have, we've, we've talked to this out. This is good. Um, should we, should we move on to, uh, the second part of our, of our episode today? Sure. Sure. Um, Kyle, do you want to give us a bit of your background with the, with the show kingdom from Netflix? Sure. So I, I thought that I had watched all of the first season of kingdom, but I was surprised when I looked at my Netflix history that I actually watched like the first four episodes of the first season so that's my next task after you know after now watching um ashen of the north is to go finish that up and and check out season two uh it was one of those shows that i like really it grabbed me and i enjoyed and then like something happened like something else big came out or like i i don't know exactly what the um you know the the distraction was but i just kind of left it and never came back to it so i was pleasantly surprised to to have a reason to revisit that world again um and that but i i remembered enjoying the show but i'm coming to this with kind of no background of the second season or even you know kind of a sense of what the completed story is um so that's kind of where i'm at with the kingdom universe okay so then ashen is a prequel and it's a, I thought it was a movie, but it's described everywhere else as just a special episode, the 13th episode of Kingdom. Uh, so in only seeing the first four, you've got two more to go, I guess. Um, mm. I don't think that I, I, this, that's what's beautiful about Ashen is you don't really have to have seen Kingdom to to get it. I mean, there, there's a bit of a, oh, I know what's coming sort of feeling, but they really in Ashen have a um, kind of a gentle approach to uh to their zombies um they they tease them out their introduction comes quite late in the story mm-hmm. um and and really the characters as far as characters go there's one or two who we've seen before in kingdom and uh one in season one one in season two and that is uh oh we okay also we need to give our regular kingdom disclaimer uh, that we can't pronounce korean names so very sorry uh yeah, we'll but do our best though of the of the the antagonistic Cho Hei-wan clan, you've got, oh, what's his name? Cho Byam il is in this, is in Ashen of the North. And he is the royal commander of the guards who gets killed in season one of Kingdom. Um, I don't know if you guys recall, he was the one who was in charge of a bunch of dudes who were chasing down the crown prince so that they could bring him back to uh the capital and probably kill him yep uh and then the other character who is uh who is in here oh there's two there's the doc dr lee who's the king's royal physician but he comes in way at the end of the episode and uh min chi rock who i didn't realize was actually in season two but he is the commander of he's the in charge of the royal commandery and has a fairly significant role in season two uh, and he's a very significant character in this in in this uh, project. And otherwise, it's kind of all new people, and that's what's kind of great about it uh, to to watch it a little bit. If you're if you're not totally caught up on on Kingdom, you can totally get away with that. Well, and it also gives like you can get away with it, but if you are watching or have watched the other seasons, it gives some context to some of the things that we saw happen. Mm-hmm. Which, so that's kind of nice too. Um, and a little bit more of sort of of the whys of why this whole thing sort of got kicked off. Um, but it's yeah. um, it's definitely like sort of like a classic revenge tale. 
uh, betrayal, revenge, all that. Uh, I think that um, the the main actor who plays Ashen, uh, Gianna June, is really, really good. Um, and as the adult, as the adult Ashen, there's also a, a child actor who plays her um, in the beginning. But um, she really, it's it's like it really just takes her down to sort of like the bare bones, like very, very sort of classic tale of somebody that's been completely wrecked. Um, has, a, has a lot of things going on. She has some guilt going on, but she also really wants to avenge her father's death, um, who she feels, and she's correct, has been mistreated and was betrayed, um, though she did, doesn't even understand to what level. No. He was betrayed until much further in. Um, but um she really I the the woman who played like like Gianna June, I think, does a fantastic job. And and also the transition from her as a child to an adult, I thought was great too. Oh, that scene is worth a conversation just in itself. Like yeah, they, yeah. they do the aging up and training montage in kind of a different way, I feel like, in this mm -hmm. uh, product. It was phenomenal. The the performance by both young and yep grown ashen uh, actresses is is incredible and that that kind of uh montage of of them aging into each other was was super well it was so subtle that i was like wow i totally believe that that we just watched somebody totally grow up it was i thought it was really really well done yeah. right and in addition to her personal story there is also the larger story and as we would expect from this particular franchise um also talking about the geopolitical issues and uh the treatment of different people um you know like like you have the the main village that ashen is coming from um is definitely in poverty and looking for some kind of um acknowledgement um and that's part of why her father has agreed to do some of the things he's done is because um, he has been potentially promised like an appointment, but also they want to be recognized as legitimate, their town or whatever. And so he takes a lot of risks in order to get that, not for, for him, but for his family and for the whole village. Um, and there's, so there's a lot of um, layers here of or at least one layer of metaphor here of these people who are ethnically Jurchen, mm -hmm. uh, but geographically Josen, if, if Josen was willing to, uh, you know, give him that appointment also, to yep. the government. But so, yeah, there's, there's a, yeah, as, as with anything that these guys are doing, I saw one thing on Reddit that was like, kingdom is basically just a metaphor for COVID and how the United States has been handling it, <laughs> uh, which I thought was kind of hilarious. Um, but there's always any with any kind of Korean uh, zombie project, there's you can always just start feeling those uh, those bits of metaphor kind of poking around the edges. It's kind of fun. Right. I would also say that, like, just to just to take a brief tangent here, like the e even just the opening crawl of this movie, like the kind of, um, you know, the the opening introductory like text that flashes on the screen like sent me on a Wikipedia spiral of trying <laughs> to figure out who all these different factions are and what they're doing that filled me with so much anger about the kind of like Eurocentric uh, education that I had. Cause I'm like, I don't know anything at all about Korean history and the, you know, the Joshin empire, as I learned yesterday. So I'm not like some great scholar on it or anything, 
it lasted for like 600 years and was super important to the development of that whole region geopolitically. And it's like, how much time do we spend on the Ottoman Empire, which had essentially the same territory and lifespan? And then, you know, this this just like it 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 really was just like, wow, there's whole just huge segments of not even distant world history that I'm totally clueless about. So it gave me a lot of um a lot of kind of uh anger about how my whole education and focus was was raised and you know you don't have to understand truly everything that goes on here but it did add a little bit of enrichment to the story to just do that you know initial um kind of research because there are a lot of different factions and like uh motivations and things like that happening throughout this story that it's really quite difficult to keep a grasp on well, we, yeah. we had a similar experience when we first started watching Kingdom and you can go down that rabbit hole and it's dense history and it's so interesting and agree, Kyle, like we had, I didn't know any of it. Um, and then to get really into the nitty gritty of some of these stories, um, it's just kind of just not even having even a hint of the knowledge of it, right? Um, felt like it was a part that should have been talked about at least to some extent but um i feel like in general education kind of overlooks a lot of this and or at least doesn't touch upon it and it is the same i had the same experience where i was like oh i guess i have to read all this before actually watching this episode just from the initial (laughs) sort of like how they were trying to set the table and i'm like wait i need more um but it is it's fascinating and the fact that it was such a like it was a, a dynasty basically and so that was kind of uh sobering honestly to realize how much i don't know mm-hmm. yeah i would say that it was to the uninitiated which is our you know our culture's fault as kyle's pointed out uh it was a complex beginning to this episode because they're like okay you're in northern Joseon, and across the border are ten thousand jurchens and they can't be defeated uh, but inside Korea, then there's other jurchens, and that's what we—that's where our story begins. And you're already my head was spinning a little bit, just like, okay, where are the jurchens, and which jurchens am which I supposed to care? Which are these? Uh, yeah. So, and we, and we have that context for our own history. Yes. So that when you know when we set a, you know, when, when someone sets a Western like inside the Mexican territories in like 1810 or something, you kind of understand like, okay, so there's like Americans, but they're still over there. And then like Spain controls this part. And in, in, like, like we kind of have that like grasp of our own history, which it can also be quite complex. Um, but uh, just totally did not have it for, for nope. this part of the world in this time period. Lacking a lot of context. But once the story begins, it it basically, I think it becomes fairly clear and you're, you're able to follow because it's mostly just about Ashton's personal story. Mm-hmm. Um, her father's relationship to the Jurchens across the river is a little bit com- more complicated, but he, you know, he basically explains it in very simple terms because he's talking to her, she's a child. Uh, so you, you, got, you get the sense of why mm-hmm. he is doing the things he's doing, even though that initial scene, that first scene of him, he's a butcher. And he's getting treated very poorly by what we assume is a fancy Josen lady. She spits at him even like it's gross. And then he picks up the the floor meat that she has thrown on the floor and says to the rest of his neighbors, like, looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. I, I, I mean, I don't think that was supposed to be comedic, but I was like, this is 
uh, I mean, that, I mean, sure. I'm sure the, well, there's the, the it, hygiene think, standards are lower back in those days. Uh, I think it was supposed to be a little comedic, but also it was like he just butchered the animal. Yeah. So the fact that he's now just touching the meat that he had just butchered is kind of weird and that she was that upset about it. But, you know, it's, it's OK enough for her to come and get it from him. And, you know, I, I did think that the setup in terms of just showing the poverty and showing that even this like hunk of meat meant that this entire village got to eat was an and was a really just an excellent little storytelling device there's a little parallel there to season one right because right. um they they basically they find some meat uh, in the form of uh danny i think the, the dead yeah. medical student um and and make a stew and here we have a almost a complete similar shot of these mm -hmm. happy villagers eating this new stew of deer meat. And I'm trying to remember if we'd already seen the, if the deer scene had already happened. Yeah. It, it had, had the, the, it opened with the deer scene. Yeah. And so we were already yeah, and, a little bit sketchy about deer. <laughs> I, I, I was filled with dread. I was like, Oh God, please. Nobody on this show ever eat any soup because <laughs> like, I just have flashbacks. I, I thought we were coming right out of the gate with this whole, uh, village getting zombified it turns out that would happen a little bit later <laughs> i was also impressed with again um and this has been the same across the whole series but um the costuming um just showing the the sort of level of survival that it must you know that survival instincts it must take um for this little village to kind of carve out an existence um just in their you know, they, they did an incredible job with makeup and with um, with muck, honestly, with mud and, and and you know, just and then showing the costuming and, and Ashen, especially all throughout this whole this whole um, movie, it, like what they're showing her go through just to like that. It's really a struggle. Um, and even before she gets there, this is her existence in the village and everybody's like. It, it's a really difficult time to live basically and to show that poverty i i just think that they did an excellent job at setting this stage um and, and again she, there were the hats but those come later so uh, those hats i yeah. agree that the production values were phenomenal across all layers of filmmaking with one huge exception and i'm curious if you guys thought this as well go on was was there anything that stuck out to you as being like boy that was really poorly done i mean i knew that this, the cg animals were cg but i did also yeah. recognize that yes. they were good cg yeah, i thought were, they were I, I totally disagree i thought the animals were terrible oh, CG. Okay. they, they, they moved totally wrong especially the deer like yeah, even before it gets bizarre. zombified i was looking at that deer and i was like that deer is not walking like a deer it it, it is walking already like some sort of predator animal so i, I thought that the the creature CG was was pretty for they they were trying to do some really ambitious like you know life of pie level stuff, um, but I still I still was like boy this is no, this is rough. I mean the, the tiger was okay because they didn't show too much of it most of the time, um, yeah. and I would say that the the my my threshold my barrier for deer CG uh, was created by Walking Dead in that one circus scene where Rick sees a, a super fake deer. Uh, I don't know, H.A., you, you might remember this one. We oh, certainly made fun it. of it on the podcast. And Kyle, you might have stopped watching Walking Dead by the time. <laughs> yeah, that, that does not ring a bell for me. It was such a bad CG it deer. It was really bad. This, by this comparison. Is reminiscent. This is definitely reminiscent of that. And I agree with you, Kyle, but I also was kind of, I, I forgave it a little bit because I was like, if you have more money to put into hats, I'm on board. 
Like you don't put in CG, you just put it into the hats. I, um, I guess I'm also happy that they didn't trim that for budgetary reasons. Like I, I guess it would have been easy to look at this script and say, oh, we can't do this. So let's cut back on the like animal portion of this. But I thought that that, you know, it, it kind of drove home how close to the wilderness this village truly is to have such like a, you know, interplay with the natural environment and the creatures that live in the forest and, and occasionally hunt the people in the forest. So I, I, I didn't have a problem with it from a story perspective and I'm glad it was there, but it was like, oof, that's, that's a rough animal right there. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, they tried to do hide as much as they could, like doing those sort of very quick edits and shots and in the dark for them, you know, in the forest and whatever. Um, but I feel like the deer was the most glaring, horrible piece of that. Um, the tiger uh, horrible, was, I think, is, is OK. I mean, you guys, you're welcome to your uh, your opinions, of course. I didn't, it, just like, looked, it looked it, like the uncanny valley was just there full. Mm, you yeah. know, it just was not moving, as Kyle said. I don't think it was moving well and it was already like oh this is a creepy little deer before it even ate the stuff. it was it was always a creepy little deer that's for um, sure but i do you know the one the one bit of storytelling there where i was like a little i don't know and and it fills in a little bit later um is that you know the story that they have put out about the tiger sort of um being the cause of the deaths of the wild ginseng gatherers um you know a tiger does make itself it does show itself it is a freaky deaky tiger and yet this this group like that they're they're like we'll we'll still avenge you know even though they've been confronted with this extraordinarily bizarre thing mm -hmm. um so that was the only sort of bit of storytelling i was a little uncomfortable with they were um, so so stuck on their revenge story that yeah they were they couldn't they couldn't justify uh, a zombie tiger like that was just and I, and I get I kind of get that like I guess I just that was the one piece where I was like eh. uh, but anyway uh, but overall I thought that the production value was great um, and I can forgive that I, I just think that especially the budget that they have expended um, and also I, I mean the other part of this is that that kind of animation takes so long that maybe they cut some corners that may also have been part of it as well just to get this out there because it already had been I mean COVID had caused a lot of delays in general for other things um, and maybe that was a piece of this too I don't know for sure but you know that that seemed to be potentially an issue too and they were just like oh let's just let's just you know we'll just do this and good enough for government work <laughs> so. so so can I ask and I know we got to get back to the the plot but what are the mechanics of the zombies in this world because okay there's like some sort of parasite on the leaves that the deer eats and then how it moves between but it doesn't appear to be spread by bites because lots of people got bitten either by zombies or by animals and did not become That's, zombies that is actually worthwhile pointing out in the military camp the big zombie scene of this episode slash movie there are a lot of bodies on the floor when ashen is done doing her dirty work uh that aren't reanimating and I, I do think that that's and it's not like she's shot all of them so i would agree however it is in those little white egg sacs on the bottom of the leaf there are worms um mm -hmm. and the worms are what are transmitted by bite i think um but also they don't necessarily reanimate right away um 
And so it's, it's basically like said at some point. Yeah. It's, it's a couple hours. Uh, so either you put the, the leaves in there and I guess the, the worms have in, infiltrated the, the leaves enough to do it or, or, um, it's just, I've, we've definitely seen bites be a, uh, a thing before, um, for transmission, but it's, I think maybe it's a little bit wishy-washy on, on how they want to tell, tell the story at the time. Yeah, I think they sometimes try, and she said a little bit something about the nervous system, and so they they kind of, they walk that line, they blur that line quite a bit, um, but I think the idea is that somehow the nervous system has to be intact, and if there's too much gone, they won't reanimate, um, but they, they definitely kind of jump back and forth between like almost instant reanimation and not, mm-hmm. um, so there is that, it's definitely, they don't always stick by the things that they've set up. Um, and then there's the whole water piece with the worms too, where you can, you know, drown somebody. Um, um, so can we talk a little bit about the tiger hunt, uh, that scene? Uh, I know we're, uh, yeah, we, I don't, we don't have to go through every part of the plot, but I think that that's like a really good early scene before, uh, when Ashton basically is still a little girl. Um, the, uh, I like the setup for the scene. You've got, they, they're doing it for like, theater they don't really want to catch a tiger um this is all just to get the jurchins across the river to not be mad at the josens is kind of what they're doing because they've already deduced also that it was a chohei one d-bag who uh murdered them all right like so they're they're trying to that's your <laughs> that's your nod to chohei one clan being jerks all the time uh, but I thought that the scene was a lot of fun uh you know you've got all the, like the peasants banging their pots and pans and 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 everything's going great uh, until the tiger decides not to act like a tiger. And I thought that they kind of set that scene up well. And then they did some nice not showing the monster work. Um, and that, uh, yeah. Did you guys enjoy that scene too? Yeah, I liked that too. And I also liked that. Well, they also seemed semi surprised that there, there was an actual tiger to some extent <laughs> and that it was acting weird, but I liked how they had the hunters who were sort of like, all right, they're just there to sort of drive it and we're going to, you know, drive it to a certain place. And then once it was very clear because it started attacking, um, that it was not acting like a normal tiger, sort of the, the elite guardsmen were like, okay, call them back and we'll take care of this at this point. Um, but that was, I liked the choreography of the scene. I liked the, the difference between, the elite trained soldiers and the sort of like layman hunters. Um, I liked the little like, you know, noisemakers they had. I thought that was like a really interesting thing to show. I I loved how quickly everybody was ready to get out of there when he blew the horn, like all the normal folks were like, okay, not sticking around for this. Let's just turn and sprint back through the forest. Cause that's exactly what I would have done the moment anyone gave me any cover to do so. So, <laughs> not just run, but screaming, like run exactly. screaming down the hill. <laughs> no, that was that was great. Um, and then uh, you kind of get introduced to the Jurchin, the paid Pegioe Jurchins as being these like super badasses with their little knives and their lack of fear. Um, and, and that nice, there was that scene, that kind of showdown in the field uh, where Tiger gets his comeuppance, but not after, not before taking out a few, you know, highly trained soldiers. Um but that also leads us to that scene where the, the Jurchins are just really unwilling to accept a tiger. Even that tiger has killed 16 of their buddies. And we won't learn it right then, but that's when the kind of deal is forged that 
defines the rest of Ashen's life, right? Because they basically trade, they, they blame the, the settlement village and kind of trade that mm-hmm. for um, kind of life for life for the folks who, the, mm-hmm. the ginseng hunters who died. Yeah. And I, I know that they set it up in the, in the, in the introductory crawl of like 10,000 junctions can't be beat sort of stuff, but it does feel like Chi rock, the guy who makes that deal, the commander of the Joseon forces is in a real hurry to not get into a fight with these uh, Jurchens. He's like, he's willing to throw away an entire village, but of course they're not Joseon. So yeah, it, it may, maybe the, the, the arithmetic makes sense, but he, they, they, the show does a good job of making him seem noble and, uh, and upstanding because he stands up <laughs> to Cho, uh, to Byam ill. Um, earlier on when he's like you killed those jurchens you big jerk uh and and it's like this is a warning don't do it again but then when push comes to shove he is all too eager to uh sell out ashen's whole village right and then i you know and i did love especially um you know it was a slow burn in the beginning um but then it finally like when it starts like really moving um, and when we see Ashen, you know, we've seen her trained, we've seen some of the things that she has gone through, um, including like sexual assault and, and all sorts of things to basically, um, she's serving as a spy in order to get vengeance for her father. And she thinks that she's being helped to do this. Um, but then I thought that they did a great job at turning the story on its head when she you know, discovers that first of all, her father is unfortunately still alive and has been tortured all these years. Um, but then her plan to just basically, um, well, the vengeance is hers basically. And just taking like all of those scenes and just showing how this all unfolds, I thought was just excellent in, in terms of, um, the cinematography, um, the um and then of course the big reveal at the end which i don't know do we want to spoil that for people um we, well, that's what we gives, do i that's mean we're we gonna do. we're gonna spoil it we're gonna spoil it for all of you um so so d- don't don't listen to the end of this right now if you H-A, i don't know if you uh recognized him but the chief of the the jurchen army adagon i think is his name his character's name he is played by uh an actor who i thought was quite familiar looking it turns out I know why. Dude's name is Ku Kyo Hwan. And he was in another zombie, another Korean zombie uh, show movie that we've seen recently, which was Peninsula Train to Busan. Um, He played, I mean, in this, in this movie, he doesn't have any dialogue. He just kind of looks at people in a way that uh, is very piercing. And I think he's going to probably come into play in season three. But in Peninsula, uh, this gentleman was Captain Seo or SEO. He was oh, he was the he was dude familiar. who wore the blazers uh, in the zombie apocalypse and was in charge, sort of in charge of that crew of uh, roughnecks. Well, in this case, he also has his own little costume with his little his hood and and whatever. He looks very cool though. Um, but nice to you see know. Him I do think that just showing showing the action and showing her interaction with um, the guards. And I also thought that the use of flashbacks was really well done um, as when they intersperse it, especially at the end. And, and the film editing was really just just great storytelling. 
um, overall, but she is beyond badass in terms of like her training. And it's like, I mean, they did a bit of the training montage when we see her more from, from like child to adult, but then we see her skill and her spy craft basically, um, as the, the movie continues. And it's really just this fantastic, um, just revenge story, classic revenge story. Um, and it's very satisfying to watch. It's satisfying, but it's also just like so devastatingly sad. I mean, you know, as a, as a, as a child, she's kind of arguing with her father and basically saying like, Hey, can't we go live with the church? And on the other side of the forest, there kind of are people. And he's very much like kind of has this loyalty to the Josens. And then I think, you know, for those many years while she's kind of living amongst the, the Josians, she's got this whole like idea in her head that, you know, the, the Jurchens murdered her village and her father. And so now she's with the people who kind of at least semi have her back. And and that's her kind of conversation with the commander where she's like, you know, avenge, avenge my loss basically. And then over the course of the story, she finds out that actually both sides have just equally betrayed her and her, and her people and that they've actually been kind of this like landless, like, uh, people though this whole time and the scene where she finds her father is just so sad he's like begging for death he's been mutilated he's been tortured and mm-hmm. i i really get the sense that that's when like whatever fragile like little uh, tie to sanity just totally snapped within yeah. her and you know she, it's it's such an interesting story because she's so relatable and you can kind of empathize so deeply with her and yet she's totally insane and responsible for all of the uh you know carnage and and um and events of of the subsequent seasons so it's it's just a it's a it's a great origin story because it makes you root so deeply for this person who is like actually deeply deeply you know broken i get very strong anakin uh vibes from her finding her dad in the tent and then he that well she kills him but then he is Mm -hmm. killed or dies like uh, anakin's mom uh, and then she turns to the dark side. It's like, it is pretty much, it's right there. Uh, but it, she, she doesn't really even have the proof that the Josens did this yet uh, at this point, but she goes back to the camp. She sees them leaving uh, like she rock and, and the other soldiers going South to help the war effort, I guess, I guess I against the Japanese maybe, but they're one of her first acts when she goes back into the fortress is to murder one of the Joseon guards. Like she, actually has already kind of tipped over before she gets the proof that she rock sold her dad out, which I thought was kind of interesting too. But like you're saying, Kyle, it, like this, this trauma of finding her dad doing the thing she has to do after everything she's been through. And honestly, I feel like the, the rape element of this story is, is really bleak. Uh, and, and it does not, I don't think get enough in a way it doesn't get treated as seriously as it should and, and no, it definitely doesn't. But I also yeah. think that that was, you know, probably the reality that weirdly, like, I don't think that the captain would have said anything to the guy doing that to her. Um, but I, I think you know, he only he only said something because he needed a favor from her right at that moment. Right. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I will point out is that she was already kind of tipped over the edge, as we find out, had been tipped <laughs> over the edge since yeah. she was since she saw and understandably since she went through the whole traumatic 
um, seeing like all of the people of her village, her, her entire family, all dead. Um, so, so she's been harboring a pretty like messed up secret for years. Um, and as I said, I thought that this storytelling and it's bleak. There's no doubt that it's bleak and devastating. But this is also just really well done in terms of a vengeance tale. Um, but, you know, then at the, you know, watching how she kind of deals with um, all the all the turned soldiers and things like that. And she's really not um, it, it, it makes so much sense later when you see what experience she has. But it's sort of like she is really nonplussed with this whole village going crazy. She is very much in control, even though she has tipped over the edge. Um, I would say it's controlled uh, chaos to some extent, but she has no fear. Um, she's got nothing left to lose, basically, after she had to, to, to do what she did, which is unspeakable to her dad. Um, and then, you know, the, the sort of end game in this, I thought, was just pretty incredible um because you think it doesn't get more twisted um and then we see what she's been basically keeping since she was like 11 or whatever so think about that because i mean she had to basically um and this is the the big spoiler we were referring to earlier but basically she turned her entire village into walkers with the plant and has been keeping them all chained up and feeding them um all these years and you know she's got this weird little crazy narrative so you know i i think she definitely tipped over into the realm of even more crazy but i i would venture to say that she's been kind of crazy all this time yeah uh, <laughs> so. I, I thought that was that was pretty bonkers of a twist for the end um and also the fact that she's the one who gives the flower to dr lee at the mm-hmm. very very end and then she's shooting an arrow at idagon and i'm not sure where that's going to go but i assume season three is going to have to deal with that arrow mm-hmm. um as, as she's it doesn't feel like a smart move on her part no so i would uh, say they were very accommodating of her in that moment because yeah. It was really very dramatic of, of them to just all stand there motionless while she draws, knocks, and shoots an arrow. <laughs> I was like, you guys could easily be moving, shooting back, like doing anything right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, strong, I guess that's Walking Dead season two vibes from the zombies in the in the hut. Wasn't that uh, a, in the barn. a major subplot of season two was that they had all their loved ones in the mm-hmm. barn that they were hoping to someday turn back? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, I thought the same thing, Kyle. Only better done, I thought. Yeah, I I, I agree, and and I guess, it, I guess it makes sense. But I'm kind of like, man, that's a long time to keep all these walkers secret up there in the in the forest. Like, you would think somebody would come through looking for a scavenging or something. Maybe they did, and they got and they got eaten, or people thought they were nuts or something. Yeah, who, yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit of a stretch to think that this little girl could have turned the entire village and had all this chain and and was yeah. But you know, I'm willing to uh, to go along with it because Ashen then is this insane badass villain, and I do love this story for being a villain origin. Um, and I'm kind of I'm kind of excited to see her build on that legend in the next season. We've talked about the chaos of the final. Um kind of massacre of of the soldier camp with everybody turning and and um y- you know uh, kind of falling upon each other and then the the person kind of 
looking down on that is, is ashing up on the rooftop with her arrows, just kind of calmly, you know, <laughs> either, either, you know, uh, taking out survivors or taking out zombies, I get too close. And then in the end, kind of igniting this pyre. Um, and she just looks so, so totally focused and in control and badass. She's never in any danger the entire time. Y- you get the sense that all this is playing out exactly how she pictured it. And, um, it, it is extremely satisfying to to see these folks all meet their comeuppance. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I highly, I highly recommend this to anybody who's watched Kingdom, but even if you haven't, I, I agree that I think you could watch it separately and and it would be no there would be no issue with it, but it would, might encourage you to watch the other two seasons. And I think I have to rewatch season two before they go any further into this story. <laughs> so um but um but nice having you on the on the podcast today kyle thank you for joining us thank you Um, for having me thank you all for listening um and next time we'll be discussing blood red sky if you have any thoughts on ashen of the north please uh leave us a note at reanimatedpodcast.com you can tweet at us reanimatedpcast or send us an email reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com and until next time ciao thank you bye